0: Hi, I'm John.
1: And I'm Cecilia.
0: Welcome to Crazy Cat Paranormal Speaks.
1: Hey, Crazy Cats. We're back for another episode of Crazy Cat Paranormal Speaks. I wanted to talk a little bit about something different. I love to read. I'm an avid reader. I read everything. I will read the cereal box. I will read the instruction manual. I will read, honestly, a matchbook cover if it's sitting in front of me. I can't help it. It's an obsession. Uh, Lately, I've stumbled across something called Cozy Mysteries. And I don't know if everybody's familiar with that, but they are short, fun, sometimes campy little books where the main character stumbles upon somebody getting murdered and finds herself having to solve the mystery of who the murderer is. And they're always fun. I've not read one where I've said, oh, my God, what the hell is this? But, surprise, surprise, I've come across a whole series called A Perfectly Proper Paranormal Museum Mystery. And if you can say that ten times fast, you will get a crazy cat paranormal wristband from me. (laughs) I guess (laughs) I don't
0: get one because I can't even say it once. (laughs) I
1: had trouble saying that just once. And the author, I I follow her on Facebook, and she just seems very delightful. And She has graciously (laughs) agreed to come on and chat with us about her books about just about anything that we're going to throw at her, I hope, completely unknowing who we are from So I give her kudos for having that kind of courage. But I want to welcome to the show Kirsten Weiss. Kirsten, welcome to the show. Welcome for closing your eyes and jumping in with your feet first. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself?
2: I write mystery novels. I have always had an interest in the paranormal uh, or almost as long as I can remember, and I've been reading mysteries since I was a kid, reading Nancy Drew's. And years ago, I picked up an article in the Wall Street Journal about a paranormal museum, which was attached to a, basically a hot dog restaurant. Hot dog? Hot dog sausages. I I can't (laughs) remember exactly. I lost the article, of course. Anyways, the museum was making more money than the restaurant was, so he ended up expanding it. And I read that, and I thought, wow, what a great place for a murder. Mystery.
0: <laughs> <And that's different, laughs> a place for a murder. Yeah, let's get right on that.
2: Yeah, I spent my days plotting murder. Right? <laughs> Only on paper. <laughs> right. And so the Paranormal Museum was eventually born. It took me a few years to kind of get it off the ground and find a publisher. And then the publisher went out of business, which is not my fault, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was able to uh, move it to an independent press, the Stereo, the stereo Press, and continue writing it.
1: Was the paranormal mystery
2: books were they your
1: they weren't your first books? You
2: no, know, I started with a series which was kind of like an urban fantasy mystery about a woman, woman who was a metaphysical detective, and she has more magical powers. So that was like it's more urban fantasy. Whereas the paranormal museum is, I wanted to write a book which was express the way we actually experience the paranormal, which is you know that thing you see out of the corner of your eye or that thing you can't quite explain, or, you know, you're so sure you've seen something, but you actually can't prove it. People are like, yeah, you were sleeping or whatever. Um, And I I think I might've kind of shot myself in the foot marketing wise, because there's there's a genre of cozy mystery that's very paranormal with, which is doing really exciting things and casting spells and shooting fireballs out of their fingertips. And then there's just a straight cozy mystery with no, nothing, no ghosts, no magic at all. And I kind of go right down the middle of that, and I think a lot of it. I think I think it kind of confuses a lot of people, but I'm happy with it because I love my imaginary museum.
1: I love your imaginary museum. I want to go visit, and I'm going to be honest. I'm making a confession right here, right now. Uh, I get your newsletter. Oh, great! And you talk about things. You talk about things going on in the paranormal museum, and it took me a little while to realize that it wasn't a real museum. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, I thought you know, every author seems to have a newsletter these days, and I just thought it would be more fun to kind of create a little fantasy world for that book and for some of my other books, too. So, like, I have a, another series of books set in a UFO-themed B&B, and sometimes she's sending out little blog entries. And I've got a series set in a tea and tarot room, or a tea room with tarot readers. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're sending out little recipes and little, you know, things that are happening and stuff. So I, it's just kind of, it's nice to have a little imaginary world to kind of escape to every now and again, beyond the books.
1: Well, see, this brings up another question that I had for you. I've read everything that you have so far for the Paranormal Museum, and I love it. I love it because you, you are 100% correct in how you portray it is really how most people experience it. Thank you. Right, Just just something moving a little bit, or something's not quite where you left it, or something you caught out of the corner of your eye. Uh, but then you have this other series, which I just started them two books in, the Tea and Tarot Cozy Mysteries. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of similar in that they're a tea room and something paranormal, metaphysical, however you want to call that. Yeah, But they are very different. <laughs> the characters are different. The personalities are different. The expectations of, of how people are going to react, they're all different. How do you do that? How do you create two similar ideas that just are so completely different at the same time?
2: Well, yeah, it really does boil down to character, I think, because the Maddie, who runs the Paranormal Museum, is a very different person than Abigail, who runs the Tea Room, and they have different people they're interacting with. And so much of it actually is the characters that they're bouncing off. So, Abigail in the tea room is she's the tea side, and her partner Hyperion is the tarot side, and he's, he's they're both funny characters in their own way, and they both get under each other's skin, and they both really like each other. You know, like two people who are working really closely together and who kind of depend on each other for their livelihood are going to be. So yeah, a lot of it's just like how are people bouncing off each other, and how what's what's realistic for those two characters to be saying and, and doing and responding.
1: Yeah, it seems that, um, I don't know, if I, th- this might be might be giving stuff away. We may not be able to keep this. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. But when, when you're dealing with the paranormal museum, we've got reluctant Maddie, right? <laughs> she's like, I don't want this. And then here she is. And she just, she, I don't know, she just seems to be like, yeah, I'm here. I might as well do this. Here I am. Hey, I don't hate it. You know, So she's kind of a reluctant heroine. Uh on on the other side of it, in the T and Tarot, Abby's like, This is my my life dream. I'm gonna work for this, I'm gonna so you've got these two strong characters who get to their point when these stories start, coming from a different place, but essentially doing the same thing, but approaching it yeah. differently. And I think I think that's what really I just keep coming back to is is a lot of writers that I've read who do multiple series like this, that do like the cozy mystery kind of things. It's really the same story, the same book for both scenarios, just over and over. Same characters, everything. You don't do it that way. You've got really, two, it, it it could almost be two different people writing it if it wasn't just like the same same voice. But I don't. know. Am I making any sense whatsoever?
2: Yeah, no, because it's something which I'm I'm constantly struggling with is to come up with fresh, believable, likable characters who aren't the same. I remember a friend, a good friend of mine once said to me very casually, oh, all your female heroines are the same. And I was like, what? No, they're not. They all have different voices and they have different things they care about. And I was like, well, oh. in some ways, because they're all, they are, my female characters are all strong characters. Cause if you're a hero or a heroine, you have to be a strong character. If you're a weak character, you're not the hero. You're the sidekick or, you know, a side character. So there's that. But I, I, yeah, I mean... Sorry, I'm fumbling around trying to think about this so Maddie came home from overseas her career she had a high power career that blew up, and she kind of got railroaded into running this museum but mm-hmm. she does she, what, what she loves about it is she gets to be really creative with it, and it's hers. nobody can fire her she can screw up <laughs> she can she can destroy her own museum and ruin her own career, but nobody else is going to do that to her and so she really prizes the independence and the fun and the creativity of it even though she is a skeptic. She's, um, mm-hmm. yeah, she's a skeptic. She's running a paranormal museum, which I also thought would be a nice kind of internal conflict. Yeah. And even like she's seen things, she's like, well, <laughs> but I still don't believe in ghosts, even though she sees things which are, you know, very heavily evident of ghosts. And that's actually, I kind of got that. I have a sister who lived in an extremely haunted apartment in UC Davis. And I mean, she saw like shadows climbing the stairs. One day she was in the bathroom. She's in the apartment by herself. She was just getting ready to take a shower, and this childlike hand holding a pink hand mirror reached under the door.
0: Ooh.
2: And she was like, yeah, WTF, she jumped up <laughs> on the toilet. And yeah. she, she stayed there until her roommates came home, and she realized there was no way any hand, child or otherwise, could have gotten underneath that door. It was too too low to the ground. And then later, it was around Halloween, they were carving a pumpkin. Kitchen table, Yeah, you know, pumpkin uh, jack o' lanterns are pretty heavy things. Yes. And the shadow, yeah, the shadow moves across the table, and the pumpkin flips and rolls off the table onto the floor, and they both looked at each other,
0: <laughs> and
2: she's it, not, and both of them denied any. I mean, they're like that happened. We both saw that happen, but this, you know, we, we don't believe in ghosts. Oh, she still earthquake. doesn't believe in
0: ghosts. Clearly, an earthquake. Yeah, it, it,
2: yeah <laughs> after all that. All of that, you know, apparitions, moving pumpkins, shadows climbing the wall. She still doesn't believe. Uh, I mean, she's open. She doesn't make fun of me. I, I actually do believe in ghosts. But um, I thought, wow, what a great, what a great person, type of person to be running a paranormal museum.
1: See, but that makes the best paranormal investigator. To be perfectly honest with you, is somebody who is somewhat skeptical.
0: Yes. Oh, absolutely. Who,
1: who doesn't believe that yeah. every every and I'm doing air quotes orb that they see is something paranormal rather than, you know, dust or moisture in the air or something like that. You Because know, we, we're paranormal investigators when we're not doing this, and the biggest thing that we try to do is debunk everything that's going on, no matter how excited we are about it. So how long has she been in in that apartment? I mean, she's staying, so it can't be... Oh,
2: no, she's, she's not there anymore. Oh, she was okay. there for, I think, a year. Yeah, it was a college term. She was going to school. And uh, and now she's out free. <laughs> she's
1: free. And she's still skeptical, huh? Yep. And you said you're a believer. That's interesting because usually um, siblings are all or nothing kind of thing. So did you have experiences
2: that you want to share? <laughs> sure. I, I have another ghost story involving my sister. We were um, driving down the Oregon coast and we got stuck in this hotel, which was kind of It wasn't the nicest hotel, but it wasn't the worst hotel either. And when I walked into our hotel room for the first time, I just kind of had that, you know, feeling. But I just thought it was, the hotel was a little musty. So I'm like, well, it's probably just because it's musty, not because it's, I wasn't thinking it's haunted. So the hotel room, I kind of have to describe it to make, for this to make sense. There were two queen beds, and then there's a door on one side of the one queen bed, and then there was a bathroom area with like a closed space for the shower and the toilet, and then an open space with a sink on the other side of the other queen bed. So my sister was in the bed by the door and I was in the bed by the bathroom and we were supposed to get up, I think around six in the morning that day because we planned to to be somewhere early. And I woke up early and I put my cell phone, which was my only clock, over on the bathroom counter because that was the only electrical outlet I could fit it into. So I was lying there thinking, oh, you know. Should I should I get up and see what time it is? If I get up and see what time it is, then I'm going to be really awake and I'll be really mad if it's like three in the morning. So, you know, like, you know the stupid conversations you have uh-huh. early in the morning when you wake up. And so I'm lying there and I see my sister get up out of bed. Now, the room is dark enough that I could see kind of shapes, but there was no definition. So everything was kind of two dimensional. I could see like a rectangle of the television against the wall and the rectangle of the thing it was standing on. So I see my sister get out of bed and she crosses towards the bathroom and I think, Oh great, she's up. Um, uh, when she gets out of the bathroom I'll ask her what time it is. So I'm lying there waiting, waiting, waiting. And then I realize I haven't heard a door close, I haven't heard any water running, I haven't heard the toilet flush. I mean, damn, she's she's got like ninja levels of stealth. She's so pol- she really is so polite, you like not want to wake me up. Like that's really, you know, really cool, kind of amazing. And then I hear her snoring in the bed next to me. Oh ooh. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> so that I was not getting sleep after that. The, the alarm went off five or ten minutes later, and we got out of that hotel room so fast. I probably should have gotten up and investigated, like a, you know, a real ghost hunter. But no, I, I did the covers over the head move. I, I kid you not. That's <laughs> what I would have <laughs> done. Lay there. <laughs> I just lay there until the alarm went off. But uh, so not my. I did not cover myself in glory with that one. But it was it was so strange it the figure was so it was just distinctly a human figure crossing in front of my bed. And it, it wasn't like a blink. It was a good, you know, five, five seconds, 10 seconds. Yeah. Crossing to the bathroom. So it wasn't, it wasn't an out of the corner of my eye, although it was dark. So again, you know, looking at it from the paranormal real paranormal experience, if I was being a super skeptic, I'd be like, well, you could have fallen asleep. Maybe it was a dream. It was, I swear to God, it was, I really don't think it was a dream. I'm, I didn't fall asleep afterwards. I mean I was awake the whole time. It was it didn't it wasn't structured like my dreams which are really you know disjointed and weird and things happen out of sequence and it's it just I'm I'm so sure I was awake. But you know, why should anybody believe me? Oh I believe they don't you don't know me. <laughs> I <Cool>. believe you <laughs> Thank
1: you. <laughs> John John and I stayed in a haunted house uh last year. And
0: uh, Yeah, that's a very we, we were actually story. <laughs> we were actually
1: doing an investigation in this haunted house. And it's the first time we were at this particular location, and it was it was the you know late at night, early morning, ye- wee hours, wee hours, yeah. And I crawled into bed because I was I was starting to get a little a little worn out at that point. I'm an old lady, and these these overnight investigations are a bit much sometimes. But sure. I crawl I crawl into bed, and I, I'm getting all snuggled into bed. And there is a bathroom to the right uh-huh. of where I was sleeping. And the door opened and John walked out of the bathroom and he walked across the front of the bed and he went out the door of the bedroom and the front door to the place is right there and he went out the front door. Except John was in the backyard the entire time smoking a cigarette.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I was out leaning on the pickup having a smoke before before retiring for the evening.
1: So when I say I believe you, I believe you.
2: (laughs) Yeah, my my story start starting to sound more uh, realistic after hearing yours.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's out there. People people have experienced this. Uh, does that have a a lot of influence on? And I know I've read you, I've read everything on the Paranormal Museum, and I'm just starting the Tea in Tarot series. That's hard to say, also, which has the Tarot aspect, which I love, by the way.
0: The tea in Tarot tongue twister.
1: Stop it. Just stop right there. <laughs> does that have? your experiences and your sister's experiences that influence um
2: well i've i've been reading tarot cards since i was in my 20s um not professionally just for for friends and stuff mm-hmm. so i've studied tarot quite a bit and i try to so i try to be realistic about like again how that actually works and i mean people have their own processes so what's realistic for me may not necessarily be realistic for another tarot reader but I, I, again, I like the Paranormal Museum series, I try to bring some reality to the way these things actually work. And that was actually inspired. I was visiting some friends in Tampa, and again, this was probably 15, 20 years ago, and we went to a tea and tarot tea shop. And then I got a tarot reading, and it was really great. And um, you know, years later, I thought, aha, another great setting for a murder mystery, especially since I enjoy tarot so much. So you've been doing that for about 20 years? Well, actually, it's 30 years now. How time flies as <laughs> yeah, you get old. That,
1: But you're, you're only 21 years old. How is that possible?
0: <sighs> if only, if only. Are you familiar with an author, Pierce Anthony? Oh, yeah. I used to read him all the time when I was younger. Okay. So did I. Um, so the Tarot series. I don't think I ever read his series, that one. It's very interesting, especially if you're into tarot. I'll have to look it up. Very compelling. It you kind of brought tarot to life, and it actually affected. Real stuff. So anyway, I just wondered if that was an influence. There was the Xanth series, and then the uh, Apprentice Adept series. Yeah, those are the
2: two that I was all over. And then just you know, like, like all these archetypes of death and,
0: um, like Father Time and oh, uh, uh, Thanatos, Kronos. Yes, 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 yes. Um, yeah. Oh, I loved those. I forgot all about them until you said that. <laughs> well, now I'm gonna have to look. I can't remember the name of the series, but yeah. I read all those avidly. Yeah,
2: I was a huge dance fan. I'm going to have to look up his tarot series now. Thanks for telling me about it.
1: I, I noticed on your website that you have I don't want to say courses because they don't really seem like that they're hard notched courses, but you have an offering
2: on your website. Do you want to talk about that? Sure. Yeah. It's well. The first I've got two little. I think they're five day to maybe seven day little like challenges. Mm-hmm. One's a fortune telling challenge from the paranormal museum. It's yeah, you know, a little email thing, it's free, you sign up for it, and you get an email a day with a little, you know, thing for you to do and a little bit to read about. It's just it's just something I just wanted to again kinda of extend the world of the museum and have some fun with it. And then I also have a Kitchen Witch course, which is the same sort of thing. It's a little challenge, you get little PDFs that you can download and how to bring some kitchen witchery into your kitchen. And that's connected to my Doyle Witch Cozy Mysteries series, which is the kind of more you know, traditional traditional paranormal mystery series where there's witches <laughs> and they're casting spells. And you know, they're having much, much more dramatic effects than any witch I actually know <laughs> casts a spell. But I do, even with that, I do try to base those, the way they do magic on historically the way people have done magic and how they're doing magic now, magical practitioners.
1: So how much research would
2: you put into a book, then, or a series? Oh, gosh. I mean, quite a bit. Just well, It's, it's kind of, I don't know, is it research when you enjoy it so much? <laughs> it's kind of a personal hobby. Um, yeah, I, there's a good bit of research that goes into it. I mean, going back, for example, to the Paranormal Museum series. So the museum has all these you know, fun paranormal artifacts, and they all have to have stories. She's got a lot of stuff from the American spiritualist movement but I wanted something that had to do with ballet slippers for a plot point in a book I'm writing now for a plot point, which I won't bore you with. So I thought, well, I wonder if there's like some woman from the Victorian American era who was a dancer who was in the spiritual movement. And the only one name I knew was Lola Montez, who was this dancer um, who was came to California during the gold rush. And she was pretty hotsy-totsy and, um, okay, I'll look her up, maybe maybe I'll get lucky and she'll be a spiritualist, and I'll be darned she actually was a spiritualist, so I have uh in this next book I'm working on Lola montez's dancing shoes turn up they're haunted, of course, of course they are I would hope so so every every yeah.
1: <laughs> every haunted object that you feature in each of the books the the ones that are stand out that are special display are they based
2: on real haunted objects that you've read about? Some of them are, and some of them I just because any object can be haunted. So, mm-hmm. like I have one of the books has a chocolate theme. And yes, chocolate days in her town. Have you read that one? Uh-huh. Um, so the like the haunted molinillo. And apologies if I mispronounced that Spanish word, which is a it's for making ch- Mexican hot chocolate. I wanted something that was connected to chocolate <laughs> to keep the theme. So I was like, well, we'll make it a haunted molinillo. We'll have this whole story about why it's haunted, cursed, and da da da. So, yeah, I mean, that's a nice thing. You can make anything haunted. But there needs to be a good story behind it. She's got a lot of creepy dolls. There's creepy, there's a lot of haunted creepy dolls, which you can find at various paranormal museums. You can
1: actually find one right here on our mantle above our fireplace.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, you have one?
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. She's not creepy, though. She's just busy. She's
0: actually kind of sweet, but, yeah. She, she's oh. busy. busy.
2: She just like to stay in one spot. Yeah, I guess there's something about dolls being... Um, more typically haunted because they have sentimental value and there's like more attachment with the child growing up with them. And so we have a lot of haunted dolls. So that's yeah part of the research. So it's a mix of research and just you making stuff up.
1: So I, I've been peppering you with questions about the two series that I've read, but I know that you have a, a ton of interesting series out there. I'm, I'm working my way through them as quick, quick as I can here. Do you want to, to tell us a little bit about the other series that you have out
2: there? I'm trying to figure which ones. I've, I've got several that are not paranormal. I've got one. They don't have to pie be. Town series. Well, yeah, but I want to entertain your audience. So I don't know if they're interested. I've got one set in a pie shop, um, which is it's a comedy series. Oh, everybody um, loves pie. Come everybody on. loves pie. <laughs> paranormal <laughs> or otherwise. I sure do. <laughs> so if you like pie and you like comedy, you may enjoy the Pie Town series. The first book is The Kitchen and the Dead. <laughs> I love it, uh, what else have i got town i have a s actually I have a steampunk series which I'd read mm-hmm. that was a lot of research. I kind of i guess <laughs> yeah I, I was crazy so again, I was trying to make it realistic. I set it in Gold Rush, San francisco um, so that was. That was challenging. Uh, that's a steampunk series called Sensibility Gray. It's kind of, it's got a little bit of magic in it. You know, I don't know if you're familiar with steampunk, which is sort of Victorian era <laughs> yeah. fantasy, sci fi. There's that. Let's see, what else is there? We have Witches of Doyle. And then I'm working on a new series, which I'm going to start next year. Uh, the first book's Big Shot, and that's set in a town based off Casey, Illinois, which I don't know if you've ever been there. It's right off the I 70. And it's a town in, that has, I think, the most Guinness you know, World Record big things. Oh. So they have, like, the biggest rocking chair and the biggest knitting needle and the biggest golf tee at the golf course. And this they sounds have the like biggest shoe at the cash shop. It, and it's right off the I 70. So if you're driving down it, it's totally worth pulling off and just walking up and down Main Street for, you know, an hour. Stretch your legs, go into a little store because, like, the world's biggest knitting needles in the knit shop. Um, so they've done a good job of kind of seeming these world biggest things to shops to try to get business. Yeah. Um, and I was, yeah, it, so I it again, great place. Cause you've, it's a great place for a murder. <laughs> <laughs> a knitting shop is
1: always a great place for a murder. Oh, you've all got sharp. Yeah. You've got the needles, you've got all huh. the notions, you've got the yarn.
0: I was going to say you could garage yeah. somebody from behind with yarn.
1: Yeah.
2: It's like, <laughs> yeah, and just the weirdness of all these you know, huge objects in this in a small town—it's uh, it's a lot of fun. And then I've got my Wits End series, which is the one set in around the um, the B and B with the UFO theme. That's actually that's the same town as my Witches of Doyle, so I kind of have a little bit of overlap between the two. But Witches of Doyle—oh, I love that! All the explanations for things are magical, and for the Wits End series, all the explanations for weird things that are happening are well, it's aliens. So I just thought it was kind of a fun... Oh, I love that. Fun play, like two different perspectives, things yeah, going on. Yeah, cool. And,
0: yeah, I like that.
2: Yeah. Oh,
1: I, I can tell I'm going to be reading nonstop with you. Oh, good. <laughs> you, you keep mentioning things. I mean, I like aliens. I like pie. I like witchcraft. <laughs> yeah,
2: right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it...
0: Do you write about anything not cool?
2: <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm sure there's a lot of people who would not like my... People who don't like my books. I just... I mean, the world is such an interesting place, and there's so many quirky places and people and things happening, and I'd rather set my books in those situations than just a place like San Francisco. I mean, San Francisco is interesting, too, but I grew up in that area, so it's not so interesting to me. uh, (laughs) And and everybody
1: does the big cities, right? Everybody does San Francisco, LA, New York.
2: and yeah. I mean, and there's a lot of, like, cute small towns, but let's let's go for cute and weird, because a lot of small towns are kind of weird when you yes. get beneath the surface. But I'm not saying that to be insulting. It's just, you know, quirks of human nature, Yep, um, which we all are. So, human, not nature.
1: I used to live in upstate New York, and I will tell you, a lot of small towns are a little weird on the surface.
0: <laughs> not even, yeah, you don't even have to You don't even to have, don't even even have to go too far down. I mean, it's right there in your face, so. You can't escape it. <laughs> Try as you might.
1: I think it's the snow. I think the snow did it to them. So if you were going to curl up and read a book, what would you read?
2: Oh gosh, I've got so much on my Kindle right now and I kind of tend to hop between them. I, I like something wicked. This way comes by Ray Bradbury. Yeah, I read it for the first time a couple months ago and it just blew my mind because I was so used yeah. to you know, Fahrenheit 451. Oh yeah. It was, fabulous i mean oh, what a writer what a great writer yep. if i could just even come close to being able to write like him i mean nobody can write like him but just get a tiny particle of his shine you, man amazing hey. Steve, Stephen king i love Stephen king um again an amazing writer i think i think literary world kind of looks down on him a little bit because he writes you know horror
0: fiction for yeah. ordinary people his genre but <laughs> You know, he's, a, he's a master at it. And he's so readable by such a large array of, of the population, I think.
2: Yeah. Oh, and then Jim Butcher, the Dresden file. <laughs> I love Jim Butcher. we love Mike? him. Yeah. yeah. I'm always, you know, one of the first in line to get it when it comes out.
0: <laughs> yeah. I I, I, we've had many of an exchange under this roof. Hey, there's a new Dresden out.
1: <laughs> yeah, we, we have most of them in paperback and most of them on Kindle as well. Yeah, yeah. D- Dresden is Dresden's my guy.
2: Yeah, well, again, and Jim Butcher, he's mm-hmm. such a great writer. When you really start kind of breaking down, because as I I read for pleasure and I also read to learn things, and when yeah. you just start breaking down the technique, it's just like, oh my god, I can't! He did that. He did that. It was so cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well,
1: the good thing about him, the thing I really like about Jim Butcher is he he doesn't tell a story at you. He invites you in. To go along with the flow. And and I like that. We don't get a lot of that nowadays. A lot of stories I've been picking up and reading and I promise not yours. They they tell the story at you. They don't let
2: you get in there and think about it. Yeah. Yeah, he's not preachy. He lets he lets you figure things That's out. That's
0: a good word for it, yeah, preachy.
2: Yeah. He does a good job with the emotional content as well. I mean, you don't think it's not a romance novel, but still, like, the emotions that poor Harry Dresden is going through all the time, he, he portrays them so well. And I really like the way Harry's character grows and develops mm-hmm. over time. That's that's one of my pet peeves with a lot of series books is the characters doing the same stupid thing every novel. It's like, oh, learn! Learn from your mistakes! Exactly! And grow. <laughs> grow! Develop, please! And, and he does,
1: he does. He goes from, yeah. from being Backed into a corner and doing the dumbest rush in there with everything blazing to the the latest books where he's actually thinking about it. Because he's got a lot more to lose now.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah he the 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 way he matured, Harry Dresden, and still made him a really fun it's still Harry Dresden, he's still mm-hmm. a fun character, he's still a wise ass. He's still cracking jokes and you know, brave, but yeah, he's definitely grown as a character and I, I love that he did that. Yeah,
1: me me too, me too. One of the authors I like and I'm throwing this out here. I'm gonna hijack your interview just a little bit to nudge somebody. Chris Pat. Is that he or is she That that is a she Oh okay. She won't come on the show and she does not do enough to promote her books, I don't think. But she writes urban fantasy as well.
2: Oh, so look her up.
1: The Raindrop series and, and all of that. Do you know the name of her first book? In the raindrops? Yeah. The first book she's got is Raindrops, Legend of the Shifter Dragon. Okay. And it's the Bloodborne series. Okay. So she's got she's got other books out, but she does not promote them enough and I think more people need to hear her.
2: No, I'll look her up. Um I always like a good urban fantasy.
1: I actually found you through her. Really? I found your books through her, yes. She does the Paperback Sisters Facebook group. Mm-hmm. And they featured you. Really? One afternoon or something. Yeah, they, I, I guess you were having a. I have no idea. a special or something on your books. I don't remember what the occasion was, but they, they featured you. And they're like, hey, go check out this writer. So I went and I checked out this writer. And I'm like, hey, I really like this writer. Well, thank you. And thank you to Paperback Sisters. <laughs> yeah. So, let me ask you a question. I don't think I've ever asked anybody. Okay. <laughs> but I'm going to ask you anyway. Uh, we have writers on from time to time. First time that you submitted something, how'd it go? Uh, badly, but it was. And I'm asking this for a reason.
2: It went badly. Well, in the first, you know, writing for most people, writing doesn't come out of nowhere. You you practice and you practice and you practice and you write badly to start with, and you think you're doing better than you are, and then you realize you're not doing that much better. And the rejections are are righteous rejections, <laughs> and hopefully you learn something from it. So, yeah, I mean, it took me a while. I have, you know, manuscripts which will never see the light of day because they're garbage, which were rightly rejected. But, you know, that's how you learn how to write better. So what kept you going on all
1: this if you were getting rejection after rejection?
2: Uh, God, I guess I'm just stubborn and stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what kind of person decides what I'm writing for. It's really hard to put money at it. Um, <laughs> so I, I just... Well, oh, you know, here's honestly, I've been writing, I've been writing and failing kind of like as a hobby. And then like Maddie and my Paranormal Museum series, I'd been working overseas and I came home and everybody wanted to interview me because I had a really interesting resume with like Afghanistan and all these other crazy places on it, but nobody wanted to hire me. And I, I just kept, you know, failing, failing, failing. And at the time I was still kind of writing as a hobby. And one rainy day, I was driving down the street thinking, God, what would be, I just need a job. There's got to be some job out there for me. And I thought, metaphysical detective. And I thought, where the heck did that come from? <laughs> I'm not going to be a metaphysical detective. <laughs> like,
0: that would have been my first so, guess. I
2: know. And I was <laughs> like, but what, what, what would that job be? And so then I wrote, I started writing Riga Hayworth. And I wrote it, and self publishing was just taking off, and I, I self published it. And all that, it, my first edition had a lot of problems, which I changed. Right? So I, I re—I'm <laughs> not on my first edition anymore. I fixed them up. The second book that came out in the series, I got really lucky, and a authors cooperative saw it and they said, "Hey, you want you want to join us? We can we can publish together." And so they helped me amp up my game, and then I was able to get an agent um, and sell some other series to traditional publishers, and now I've. I kind of, I'm really enjoying the indie publishing. I like the freedom of it. I like being able to publish more. And it's frankly, for me, it's more lucrative. I think, you know, not being, not having the name of a Stephen King or a JK Rowling or, okay, also not the talent of a Stephen King. Let's be honest about that. Um, but just, uh, you know, for me, it's it's more lucrative to just do more indie stuff and, and publish on my own schedule and, and write. And also it's more fun to write what I want to write.
0: Yeah, I think it's great that that the world has become that. I really do. It was so shut down by publishing houses, the big six names, and then the record companies. Same thing for for music. And now it's, yeah. it's opened up the whole. Now it's hard. I know it's hard because I'm a musician, like you're an author, and so I know that you have to do an awful lot that would have been someone else doing it for you as your representative, but. Still, so neat that it's opened up the creative aspect of it, like you just said. You can write what you want, you don't have to answer to their marketing projections and all their stuff like that.
2: It's an interesting balance because some of the things that the publishers demand again are are quite well. they, They want you know quality work, they want an interesting protagonist, they want you know good conflict in the story, but they also. Especially in genre fiction, they definitely have a formula of check boxes that they want you to
0: tick you know each box.
2: you can know, usually see the same thing that's why you see the same thing over and over again because
0: there is a formula I was going to say, doesn't that make it kind of boilerplate? yeah, to check those boxes. every author in that genre has to check all those boxes in the right order
2: to a certain extent it does i mean you can still get creative with you know. There's other ways you can be creative about things, but if you're, you know, reading a lot of stuff and it all seems the same, that, that's that's one of the reasons why. Yeah, right, honestly. You talk about indie publishing.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm gonna be honest. I'm not real familiar with how all of that works at the background. So basically, you you gave up the agent and you manage it yourself.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, with traditional publishing, wow. you get an agent. The, the agent sells your book to a publisher. The publisher prints the book and puts it in, gets it into the bookstores and they have usually some editors, um, where I was, they weren't doing a whole lot of marketing or publicity for me. So, I mean, the, the big benefit for me for tradi- with traditional publishing was it got my books into actual physical bookstores, but with indie publishing and I'm, I'm still in this writer's cooperative Mysterio press, you do your own marketing. We, we edit each other's books. And the other writers in my cooperative, so I, ha- I do have outside editors, not just me. But I I make my own ebook and I p- publish it on Amazon and Apple Books and Barnes and Noble and all those other places. And I make my own paperback book, which is published on Amazon. At this point, I haven't been able to get the stuff I I indie pub into bookstores, but they are available. So many people are buying online, anyways. I don't
0: I don't yeah. know how much it hard. Paper bookstores are fewer and further between. I mean, there are not very many of them left. I know. And then, you know, COVID
2: last year, yeah. I think really kicked it in the teeth, too. Yep. Which is sad. I, I, I really enjoy walking into a bookstore. I love the smell of the books. I oh, just absolutely. Love being able the to whole like browse and find. Yeah. yeah, it's lovely. So it's weird that I'm not selling. I, I still have some books in bookstores that are traditionally published, like the Pytown series. Yeah, it's weird that I've kind of gone so electronic and yeah. online. I think it's awesome to be perfectly honest with you.
0: Well, yeah, I think this is the way of the future. I mean, it, I, I whether love we books. like it or not. It's is where we are.
1: I, I love books. I love the smell of books. I love I love libraries and I love bookstores. You
0: feel love it in your hand. I you do. Can but switch positions without having to worry about the charging cord coming undone. <laughs> <I> mean, but <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> but a I'm a hermit I don't like to go outside I, mean, I don't like to drive anywhere or do anything like that but we we live in a tiny house so it, it came down to all the books that I want to read versus do I want to be able to sit on my sofa at some point uh and yeah. i and I do like yeah. the idea of being up at three o'clock in the morning and, you know, just finishing a story and saying, hmm, I wonder if there's any what more. Am I read? <laughs> and having that, <laughs> yeah. that instant download. So I, I can certainly appreciate um, electronic books. I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. I can certainly appreciate them.
0: I like the fact that I can switch from my iPad to my laptop and it knows where the furthest red point sometimes. is. And it, and it, wait, sometimes. And it prompts me and I can just seamlessly take up where I left off. That's pretty cool.
1: But then there is that smell and the
2: the feel and the yeah
0: and the the off white yeah, like Manila color of the aged paper.
2: <laughs> well, that, that's why I did decide to continue to making paperbacks, even though I I make a lot less money on my paperbacks than I do on my e-books, just because
0: the the margins are much thinner. Right, right. It goes into the actual physical production of it.
2: I learned
1: something fundamental over the last year or two. I do the uh, the nano the yeah national novel writing thing. Uh, for the last two years, and I learned that while I can meet the challenge, nobody is going to want to read what comes out at the end of it. <laughs> so I will bow to those of you who actually have the talent.
2: <laughs> it, it just takes practice, honestly. It takes practice and study, and I mean, I don't have an MFA. I felt, I felt a little insecure about not having a, a degree in writing for a long time and now I'm just like, nah, (laughs) this is fine. (laughs) I'm okay. (laughs) Yeah. See, but I know a lot of
1: people who do have a degree, right, in English and writing and that kind of thing Mm -hmm. and it turned them so far off of writing that
2: they won't. It's kind of similar to what we were talking about before. It's, the MFA is also very formulaic. They teach you, I mean, when I pick up a book, I, first page, I know if the person was an MFA or not. I can just tell by the way they write and there's nothing wrong with it. They learn a lot of great skills, and I, get, I'm, I'm taking courses. and I'm constantly trying to improve myself. But yeah, there is definitely the MFA courses are very much the same.
1: Yeah, I, I would imagine because they've they've got to meet a certain metric. Yeah, yeah. In in teaching and putting these classes together, they've got to meet a certain metric to keep their accreditation. Mm-hmm. But i I'm just telling you, listeners, if you want to be a writer and you're studying it in school, that's fine. But don't be a cookie cutter. <laughs> it, it's, it's okay to be a little different. It might be take you a little longer, but it would be okay to take you – it would be okay just to be a little bit different. So what do you got coming up next?
2: Uh, my new Tien novel, novel, um, Never Say Chai, is coming out at the end of August. <laughs> yeah,
0: they're, they're adorable. You're going <laughs> to love them, hon. You're going to absolutely love them. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm hooked already. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Um, so, yeah, it's coming out in August. It's actually going to be a really busy fall for me because then I've got a, um, a short, Witchesville short coming out end of September. And then I've got another Wits End book, Gnome Malone, coming out October 31st. That's Gnome uh, Alone is it's holiday time. There's Bigfoot and there's Garden Gnomes. Oh, my God. So I managed to mash all those things together. So yeah, there's just a lot happening, and then I'm in an anthology, Moon's Magic and Mystery, which comes out. I think I think the pre it's going to be available for pre order at the end of August, and I'm in that with another dozen or so paranormal mystery writers, and that's only going to be that's going to be 99 cents on Amazon. It's Kindle only, but it's a big book because there's again 13 or 14 stories in it, each about 15,000 words. Wow! So if you want. If you want some value and you want to test out some writers you think might be interesting, Moon's Magic and Mystery. Again, look for it. Look for it in late August, or, or write it down and go on Amazon because it's a great deal. I think it's only ninety nine cents. I hope I'm not lying about
0: that. I was going to say, if-
2: <laughs> even if it was four ninety nine, yeah, it's
0: still a deal. Still a great deal. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I, I might I might be mistaken about that now. I know the last one was on ninety nine cents. I think they were talking about raising the price though. So. But still, it's a great deal because you get to sample all these different writers and all the different series, basically. Yeah,
1: yeah, that that's something I love. I love picking up those those anthology type books because there are so many different writers, and you can read a story and say, mm, "Not my thing," and then read another story and say, "Oh,
2: I love this one!"
1: Right? And then you write I write down the author's name and say, let me go back and see what else they
2: wrote. Yeah, I mean, I figure if you get if you find two or three authors that you like out of one of those anthologies, it, you've won. I mean, oh yeah. Well,
1: it, it depends on your definition of one. Because if you find a couple of authors you like, next thing you know, it's three o'clock in the morning. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you got to work.
1: Now, tomorrow. I call
2: that winning. <laughs> That's winning.
1: <laughs> it's like, why am I not asleep? But wait, I only have a couple more chapters left. To right, go. And, and then you get.
0: Through those chapters, and it's like, what else can I download <laughs> at three I, in the morning?
1: I'm just going to download it right now, so I have it for tomorrow.
0: And then I'm just going to sample the first few paragraphs, just to get a flavor for what it's like, and then next thing you know, the sun is coming up. That,
1: that's how I went through the Paranormal yeah. Museum book so fast. I was like, oh, I'm just going to download this next one, and I'll have it for tomorrow, and uh, then, then it's like, oh, heck, what time is it?
0: <laughs> kind like eating cookies. I'm just going to have three. And then maybe six more, and then I'm just gonna well, have I don't know another about one. Six more, but <laughs> <laughs> it's like,
2: well, there's only two left. I have to get rid of the package.
0: <laughs> right? Oh yeah, there's only a couple left. <laughs> Trashes tomorrow. I better get rid of these. You,
1: you can't put it back with just two, because then it goes stale. Right. Yeah. You, yeah. So you really you're just trying to save the cookies. That's right. Okay. Yeah, it's just a tease
2: for the next person who opens up
1: the
0: package. Yeah, too, I was gonna, so gonna say you you're, just gonna, you're just gonna alienate your partner. <laughs> I mean, you have to leaving two yeah. cookies in the in the package.
1: Now, if you had any advice to offer our would be authors out there, what would you say?
2: I would say keep writing and get an editor. <laughs> you learn a lot. I think you learn a lot more from a good editor than you. I have I, learned more from good editors than I have from anyone else, quite honestly, because they can look exactly at your work and say that, yes, you could write it this way, or you could write it this way and see what the difference is. So, yeah, it's, an editor is worth the investment. And also, you don't want to put something out there that hasn't been edited, or well oh, God, edited. No. Because then you just end up ruining your name.
0: Yeah, That's
1: not good. Oh, I've picked up a few that
0: I've read some good stories. Obviously not. Were, edited. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the great stories, great storytelling, great crafting. But um, yeah, it's it's kind of a, a. And you know, I feel like I'm being too critical when I come across that. Like, why don't I just accept it for what it is? I couldn't do any better. I couldn't do that well.
1: I usually I usually do just accept. I'll, I'll make a note in my brain saying, "Hey, you know, <laughs> this really could use." some editing. Right,
0: thing. me too. And then I read it anyway. <laughs>
1: but
2: Not your, your stuff. <laughs> your
1: stuff is awesome. <laughs> so.
2: well, like, no, I, I I say that, but I know typos are always flipping through. I mean, I think of them like bed bugs. They're just so hard to get rid of. Yeah. yeah. So if anybody reads my book and if you see a typo, please do email me or text or you know send me a note and I will, most cases, I can fix it pretty easily.
0: I was going to ask you about that. I'm glad you brought that up. So this is something that you can do while the book is still live. It's like a living document. You can change it sort of
2: for my indie published books I can for my traditionally published books I can tell my publisher and hope that they'll fix
0: it in the next edition okay that makes sense
2: all right cool so yeah for me yeah so sometimes I can so yeah and people are sometimes kindly and sometimes not so kindly making me aware of the occasional typo so I prefer the kindly because I, I don't like typos either <laughs> <laughs> and I I would I will happily get rid of them. <laughs>
1: right. So um, if, if people wanted to contact you or find you, how would they go
2: about doing that? You can contact me through my website at com, And I also just created an app um, at b e e z e r. dot com. So that's where you can find me. And, of course, I'm on it all over Amazon and all that stuff. But if you want to, like, contact me and check out my website and stuff, the website's probably the best place to go. Although the app is kind of fun.: Well, what's the app do? Uh, the app has short stories on it, and it has a little game on it, a little mystery game, and I'm going to continue to add little stories and recipes from the, from the tea room and little things like that. So I'm trying to make it a little different, but it's, I mean, it's kind of cool, cool. Yeah, it's kind of like a glorified version of my website, but it's on your phone, and it's a lot easier to read than a website on the phone. And uh things will be changing on it. So it's just fun. Everybody has an app, so I thought I should have an app. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they got an app I for that. App.
1: <laughs> so it it's like it's like super secret content for the cool kids on the go.
2: Yes. And there's also more super super secret content if you sign up for my newsletter, which you can do that at kirstenweiss.com dot com as well. So I try to I try to send out little short stories to the newsletter too mm. and just do different things. I wanna keep it interesting.
1: And listeners, I do get her newsletter. It is really cool. So cool, in fact, again, <laughs> I thought the Paranormal Museum was real,
2: but we won't go there. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Didn't mean to trick anybody. <laughs> it's not real.
1: <laughs> I, I swear I'm average intelligence, I swear.
0: <laughs> it's it's real. It's just not real in that respect.
2: I think I just really want it to be real.
0: <laughs> right? You wished it real. I did, too.
2: I totally want a Paranormal Museum now. Well, there are actually traveling ones. I know. I've, I've seen that one, and unfortunately, it hasn't traveled to my neck of the woods. So I'm going to Vegas in November, and apparently there's a paranormal museum there, which I definitely want to check out.
1: There oh, is. Yes, there we is. have been there. It and is we have. something else.
0: Yep. It's something Good, to check huh? out.
1: Yeah, go check it out. Excellent. I, I think you'll cool. enjoy it. I think you might actually get some inspiration there.
0: And the owner might actually be there when you're there. Well, that'd be fun. He's sometimes there, so anyway, he, he
1: is occasionally there.
0: Yeah. All right i have a I have a question to close on.
1: Uh oh. Okay. This is a big one. He never does this, so this should be interesting.
0: Your favorite author, or most influential, and not just in your writing, but most influential in your life, author. I know that's a tough one. I know there's so many. <laughs>
2: you know, I've got to say Carolyn Keene, who doesn't actually exist, there was actually several people, because she got me started, re- she really got me loving reading when I was a kid. She was the name they used for the syndicate that wrote the Nancy Drew mm-hmm. Oh, gotcha, yeah, okay. I grew up on those. I, it really not only developed my passion for reading, but also my passion for, for mysteries. I mean, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a girl detective, and I realized pretty quickly that wasn't going to happen. So my next thing was, well, I want to be a mystery writer. And it took me a long time to get to the mystery writer, but I did.
0: That's so awesome. So I've
2: got to say the, same, the Nancy Drew stories. Yep. Which, I mean, there are much better written stories out there, I know.
0: <laughs> can't.
2: I can't
1: want, you want me to answer that yeah, question? Yeah, all of us. As a writer? A most influential writer?
0: The most your favorite or most influential in your life author?
1: I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Stephen King only because I was so very young when I started reading him, and I think it
0: it's it, a scary thought.
1: Well, no, <laughs> because I I remember reading like The Shining when it was in hard copy
0: when it just
1: come out. Yeah, yeah. and it it, it did kind of shape the way that I looked at things because I would already had an interest as as a as a kid of like 10 or 11 or however old I was I already had an interest in the paranormal and this just took it to a different level. Yeah. And I'm like, "Hey, I didn't know this kind of stuff existed." And and that really, I mean, that's mostly what I read. Yep. Except for these cozy mysteries that are all over I love cozy mysteries, I do. That that's my my little secret. I love
2: cozy mysteries. <laughs>
1: Don't be ashamed. we got to take
2: take cozy mysteries out of the darkness and bring them into the light. Make them respectable. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> my my other,
1: tied with that, would be Anne Rice. Yeah. Because her books are so smart.
0: Yeah. How about well, you? Well, that's a tough one. Since um, you brought it up. Stephen King is at the very top of the list, except one higher. Anne McCaffrey. Oh, I love
1: Ann McCaffrey, too. You can't go yeah. wrong with dragons.
0: I, I liked her sci-fi, I liked her Crystal Singer, I liked her Federation of Sentient Planets and all that stuff like that, but I really liked Pern.
1: Here's your next book, yeah. Kirsten. It is <laughs> A Magic-Wielding Ghost Dragon Who Solves Murders.
0: thank god she's (laughs) self-published
2: she'd never sell that
1: (laughs) and you can call it the dragon in the
2: dungeon the dragon in the dungeon okay can i make it a short story (laughs) (laughs) oh my god
0: we are weird people Uh, i think that's really what turned me on to reading is in my sophomore year in high school i took an elective class for English, which was science fiction. And one day, the teacher went to the back of the room and opened all these cabinets, and there was just a plethora of paper, well-read, worn paperback books. And she opened all the doors and said, we're clearing all these out. If you really want to read them, take them. Wow. And, uh, I uh nuts. Oh, yeah. And I was just really, I mean, I had read in, earlier, but... I was really getting into reading as a maturing person, you know, and I went back there and I found Dragonflight and I didn't realize this, but in one of my elementary school readers was The Littlest Dragon Boy, which was her first short story that started the whole Pern series. Wow. And it was one of the stories in a uh, textbook that i had had in elementary school in a whole other part of the country. And I read it and I was compelled by it, but I never knew who it was or what it was or anything else. And just by chance, this is one of the books I grabbed. And when I read it, I realized what it was. It was like the first novel that was based on that story. And uh, I think that's probably why, you know, that and the fact that the world she spun was just so incredible. Very influential to me.
2: Yeah, I remember the Dragon Riders. I loved that, that series, too, when I was younger. Yep. I hope to pick that up again.
0: Yes, I've read it several times. I think you have too, haven't you? I've read
1: it several times. Okay, so now, now our book lists—all three of us have gotten seven times as long as they were an hour ago.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Going back to our youths, our youths, our youths. Yep.
1: <laughs> thank you for putting up with us. I appreciate that. <laughs> My pleasure. I want to thank you because we're coming up on our hour now, but I want to thank you so much for taking a chance and. Responding to us and saying, "Sure, why not?"
2: <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for reaching out to me. This has been a really fun conversation, and I hope I hope I didn't talk about books too much. Well, that
0: well, that was the whole point.
1: <laughs> that that's the whole point. Um, we, we're a paranormal themed podcast, but we love having authors on, and it doesn't always it doesn't always have to be paranormal related. You're just fun, and your books are fantastic, and everybody needs to know about you.
2: Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for reaching out to me, and uh, this has been really fun. Okay, you guys take care. You too. You too. (laughs) Hey, if you like what you hear, and how could you
1: not? We are freaking adorable. Check us out as Crazy Cat Paranormal on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. The links will be in the show notes.